And I think where we're at now is that men don't really have a place to put their power. What was, you know, warrior and survival and, you know, let me go hunt and let me provide and protect through violence and through asserting my power is being replaced now with having to assert our emotional intelligence as a form of power. And it's not as, it doesn't feel as primal. So we're missing this primal power outlet in our life. And if we don't have a place put for it, it will get projected onto our women. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Are you a man disconnected from your power? Are you committed to going all in on your dreams? Or are you just half-assing it? In this episode, my guest Mark Granger and I mine these questions and much more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Mark is actually one of my coaches. Yes, I have multiple. A few years ago, I went to an event that Mark and his wife Shannon were hosting in the San Francisco Bay Area to teach entrepreneurs like me how to speak powerfully on stage in ways that create more income. And about 30 minutes into this three-day event, Mark told all of us men to stand up and grab our balls, which we did with a certain giddy discomfort, I would say. And Mark then led us through a pledge, and I don't remember the exact details, but essentially it was a pledge to fully own our desires, to not apologize for being men, and to also be chivalrous and attuned to the women in the room. And remember, we're grabbing our balls while we do this. And I loved it. And the women loved it too, except for one woman who didn't love it at all. And we talk about that and what happened in this episode. But that weekend, I decided to become a VIP coaching client of Mark and Shannon's, and I paid them $20,000 that weekend to start coaching me in my business. In many ways, thanks to their influence, I feel like I now actually have a business, whereas before, all I had were just ways to make money. Mark's background is in marketing and sales. A genius branding expert, he's executed over 450 branding and promotional campaigns as the advisor to Porsche, Harley-Davidson, Aflac, remember the duck, Marriott, and more. Today, he's helping heart-centered entrepreneurs who are committed to making a meaningful difference in the world create bigger impacts with their message. I invited Mark onto the podcast to learn more about his journey as a man, what challenges he's faced on his entrepreneurial journey and in his relationship with Shannon, with whom he's built a million-dollar business. Our conversation covers a wide range of essential topics, from the challenges that many men face being raised by well-meaning moms who are angry at men, to where are we men supposed to put our power in today's world. So definitely stay tuned all the way through to Mark's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. And also... If you want to share feedback or tell me what this conversation inspired in you, please email me directly 
at Brian with a Y, Brian at BrianReeves.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's dive. Mark Granger, it's a pleasure to have you on Men This Way. It's really great to be here, Brian. I, you know I love the work that you're up to, helping men and women, and uh, I jumped on the opportunity as soon as you asked. I'm like, yeah. absolutely, this is going to be a great conversation. Definitely, and, and I just want to say, Mark, that you had me at men stand up and grab your balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had yeah. me. was like, whoa, this is different. Yeah. So look, before we dive into that, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because... And as I've said in the introduction, for those of you that listening, you immediately impressed me and touched me as a man with a very, almost sadly rare integrity in today's world. And that, that first sentence, men, stand up and grab your balls at that workshop was, well, <laughs> you got my attention. So we'll get into that. But first, Mark, I just want to ask you, because you just moved from California to Texas. What's that like? Well, it's been over a year now. We just had our Austin anniversary in January. And it was one of those feel the call and trust the universe kind of moments. Yeah. And boy, I have to tell you, Brian, we are we found our home. It's, mm-hmm. it's really fantastic here. Mm-hmm. I feel like the mentality of Austin specifically, very in alignment with what we're doing. And it really seems to have that... Um, it's just a, the energy here in Austin. I feel like it's a vortex hub of change makers. People that want to play a bigger game, they want to make great money, they want to give back, and they want to live well. So people really take care of themselves. They do the things they need to do to be able to make a difference, and uh, they want to play a bigger game and do it from a heart space. Mm-hmm. And so we're, you know, a lot of a lot of colleagues, clients, and um, and promotional partners are here that we didn't even know when we got here, but we're already in the groove. With wow! Yeah, yeah. sounds amazing. Is there have there been any kind of cultural challenges? Not, not like, not, not too bad. I think if we'd be anywhere else in Texas, maybe uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very, uh, very liberal here and, and feels, uh, it just feels like in our groove. So not too much, a little bit on the food here. Mm. The Mexican food is not Mexican food. It's Tex-Mex. Uh-huh. And so uh, it's hard to find really good Mexican food, but mm. I have a feeling that we will find it, but we okay. have not yet. <laughs> and like we have fun. not found the gluten-free pizza that we like yet. Oh, but, goodness, uh, man. That's on every street corner here yeah. in California still. Awesome, man. Well, I'd like to introduce you to my listeners. So, and I'd like to do that by asking you to share with us a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. Mm, very good. Well, I wouldn't, I'm just going to tell you a dynamic rather than an event. Okay. And the reason I'm going to say that, Brian, is because it's the quintessential thing that's shaped me as a man. And uh, what that is, is my father, who I think is probably one of the most rarest individuals as a man, years ahead of his time, very emotionally evolved man, I would say. So his idea of masculinity was why being powerful and hanging out with the guys, he was also very sensitive and chivalrous to the women in his life. And so he really taught me that sense of depth as a man. But he also worked a week on and a week off in the oil industry. So while he was gone, I was also absorbed by my mom. Mm. And my mom was a little bit more of, not a little bit more, she was extremely domineering. And that was the one area where I had a contingency with my father is I felt he should have kind of put his foot down Mm. a little bit and really owned the masculine. But this is years before those words weren't even used. And she was a tough nut to crack. I mean, she really, really held her own masculine. And a lot of what she did 
was her own issues with men. She kind of played out with me, which was trying to drive the masculine out of me. Mm, So that made me a people pleaser specifically to women. Yeah. And so my late teens, early twenties was really difficult as I was trying to go out into the world and understand what it meant to be an alpha male and be in the friend zone and be taken for granted and not Mm -hmm. own my power all of which I had to learn ultimately to get laid and get paid, Mm. you know? So that was a really painful path, but now it's put me in a position to where I own my power. I teach other men how to step into their power and I can do it in a way that's very sensitive and creates space for women. And so it's really great juxtaposition that allows me to move through the world a little bit easier. Yeah. I think you touch on something so important that uh, I think a lot of us men didn't even know we were growing up with. And a lot of women in their best of intentions, raising sons, didn't realize they were helping to instill in us is almost a shame around being a man. That's right. That's right. You know, and I, I experienced that again. I get it, man. And the, a lot of, I mean, women for eons have been wounded and hurt, exploited. I mean, just destroyed in all kinds of ways by men. And I think in, you know, I grew up uh, divorced parents and, you know, the message that I got from my mom, again, well-meaning and intentioned was that my father is not a good person. Right. And, but I am my father. And it was very confusing. So I think, uh, is your mother still alive? Yep. As a matter of fact, her and my dad are still together, have been for almost 50, over 50 years now. And yeah, they've really done a good job with that and, Mm -hmm. and really be connected with that. But my mom for many years was not easy to be with because, Mm -hmm. She's had so much angry. What was really interesting is both my parents, when they were three, they lost a parent. Mm. So my dad, his mom was killed with a gunshot wound when he was three. Dad was at war, World War II. And then um, my mom, her father, when she was five, bled to death having a tonsillectomy. So he literally bled to death and left my grandma with two daughters under the age of five. And a week later, found out she was pregnant with her third daughter. Wow. So I think the way that both my parents dealt with the death of a parent really had to do with how they raised me. My mom really fear-based and unsure of life and a need for control. My dad really believing in the world. I mean, he, he says he remembers one of his first memories was he was in his crib and now he knows it was the paramedics coming and taking his mom away. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, looking through, his, looking through his crib, he saw it as angels taking his mom away. Oh, wow. You know, so it was, both of them had this imprint that I think had a lot to do with the role they played in life. Wow. And let's, let's talk about the dad hug. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. At your workshop, man. <laughs> I, can't, I don't remember if it was the first weekend. I guess it probably was. I guess it was the, one of your main... Big Impact Weekends. You've changed the name though now. Yes, it's called Big Impact Experience. Right. Right. So there was this thing that y'all did, the dad hug. That's right. And I'll just sort of summarize it quickly. It was you, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Were you uh, raffled, like raffled off (laughs) getting a hug from your dad. But let me tell you, for you listeners out there, this is no ordinary dad hug. What your father, what he would whisper into our ears. I mean, just having a father didn't, didn't even have to be my own. Having your father just say things like, I'm proud of you. You're doing great. Everything you do, I'm so proud of. You're so exquisite in every way. Say, oh my God, it touched me at such a profound level that I really, I really experienced the hunger that I live with 
because I don't hear those words from my dad. I mean, I just don't. Right. Well, you know, as a transformational leader, my wife and I really, really believe that uh, while we do business and teach people business and the power of speaking, we believe that ultimately it's who you are in the world that determines your message and who you're living. And what we see is that it's our wounds that keep us from communicating effectively. Mm. And over and over again, one of the gifts that had been given to me was a father that could look at me and say, son, I love you. Yeah. You know, and as I got older, I started seeing what a gift because so many people, I mean, no one I know has that, you know? So one of the things that we try to, you know, that we, we teach our people to do when you're having your own events is to bring in your gifts and bring in all of who you are. And one of the greatest things that we can do is share, share the love of family. And we believe that we're cultivating soul family as part of our tribe. So for me to be able to give people an opportunity to have what my father can do, you know, when he takes you in his arms, you feel his hug, you know, and then he genuinely means it when he says, I'm so proud of you. He knows how hungry people are who haven't heard that. Yeah. And uh, it just really turned into just a beautiful dynamic at our events. And now, now we've added the supportive mom embrace. So they get the dad hug and then my mom gives them the mm-hmm. tissues and gives them a support yeah. kind of embrace after that. It's really quite beautiful. I think after that part of your workshop, I think I saw your dad in the bathroom. I think we were standing next to each other at the urinal. And it's the only time in my life I've wanted to hug another man at the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> I resisted. but That's it, funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. It's such a beautiful part of your experience. And, and thank you for sharing that with us. And um, you just said something really profound. Our wounds get in the way of communicating effectively. Yeah. Can you expand on that? What do you mean by that? Well, that's one of the reasons why I love the work that you're doing, Brian, is, I mean, I'm fortunate to be heads over heels in love with my soulmate, and we have a lot of tools to move our relationship forward. And as I started moving through life, my biggest, for me, you know, because I was kind of made effeminate by my mom. And so when I was in college, I fell heads over heels in love and completely gave my power away to this amazing woman, Anne Marie. And so as I was dealing from that heartbreak and healing, what I started seeing is I needed to get past my own wounds to be in my power. And that started a whole path of personal development and spiritual growth for me that really put me on the path of psychology. I eventually started going to graduate school to become a marriage and family therapist became an uh, advanced student of A Course in Miracles, as well as uh, neuro-linguistic programming. And what I began to see is that our patterns, I, mean, I remember years ago saying one of my goals was to become one of the greatest communicators I possibly could. Mm. And what I've seen is it's not about techniques. While techniques can give you strategy, what really truly allows you to be a great communicator is to be present and to be able to play into your patterns that work. Because everybody's got a sense of humor. Everybody knows, has had moments where they've communicated well, but most of the time they're in a trigger and they're communicating from a rote place right. of how they've been conditioned. And so you have to clean up your wounds and go to work on you so that ultimately your communication is divinely orchestrated. That you're saying through you, the divine God source, how you would declare it, is speaking through you yes. so that you're moving through the world as an example of love. But in order to do, you got to clean up. You got to clean up your shit. Yeah, you know, I'm reading a book by Jeff Brown right now, uh, Soul Shaping. I'm actually going to have him on the podcast. Incredible book. He's he was a criminal trial lawyer in Canada, and uh, one of the things that he said in that book so clearly, he saw that every judge who you know was a lawyer, anyone should who would be judged should go through at least three years of intense psychotherapy, so that they can 
be a clear channel for their judgments rather than like what you're saying, just projecting our wound externally and seeing everything through that, which just perpetuates more madness in the world. Exactly. Well said. You work with your wife. I do. What's that like for you? I mean, I work with Sylvie, but not as intensely yet right. as you and you and Shannon are rocking it full on. What's yeah, that like? we really are. It's amazing dynamic. You know, I would say both of us have to really be aware that we are a little bit enmeshed, but we both come from that background. So there's a little bit of a flavor of what I do and how I move through the world is dependent on her and vice versa. But we're aware of that dynamic. We're able to address that dynamic and And I think that um, the biggest key for me, what's really happened for me is my biggest learning, Brian, has been to the degree my wife needs me to be a king. Mm. There is no fudge factor. See, in my own life, I could go, ah, it's all good. (laughs) It's all good. Yeah. But to her, that little one or 2% where Mm. I'm kind of taking the foot off the throttle and maybe allowing a distraction or maybe even a little bit of laziness to get in the way. To her, that is volumes of discomfort and volumes of, I'm not safe. And it took me a long time to, first and foremost, get to a place where I'd really hear that. Mm. I thought she was just being femininely emotional, you know, and and hormonal. Mm -hmm. But what I really began to see is that what she was really doing was calling me into my king. Yeah. You know, I need to know that you have things handled. I need to know that you're on it. I need to know that you're taking the bull by the horns And all of which I, deep down, I want to do. I want to be in my power. But sometimes, you know, who we are as men, I think as men, we are a little bit more lackadaisical than women. Mm. They can frame that as lazy in their own mind. Mm -hmm. But for Shannon and I, I think the biggest key is is having tools. You've got to have a lot of tools. Tools that allow you to understand your own identity. Tools that allow you to communicate and understand the difference between men and women. And a willingness on the parts of each of you to see when your shit is showing up to own your shit. And I think one of our greatest tools that we we learned recently is when you're in it, when you're in reaction, when you're in ego, is to say to the other person, can the person that loves me speak to me? Right. Mm. So that's something that the two of you will actually say to each other. Yeah. Can the person that loves me do the talking? And that's a nice clue for both of us to go, oh, okay, let me get out of my mind. Mm. Let me get out of my reaction and allow my heart to speak and really respect this person. And then the other fun one that we have, because we work together, it's really easy to bring work into our private life. So we're really, really, really good at setting a boundary around, wow, if we're really getting into work, we really get into it right now. Mm -hmm. And that's just the indication of the other person. Hey, you just brought work into private time. Let's leave it there. Yeah. So two things, man, two very profound things. And I, I, I like to talk about containers, right? Because again, I work with Sylvie, my partner, and we have an intimate relationship. But even if a man or a woman is listening and you don't work with your partner, containers, you know, work these days because of cell phones, because of uh, email in our pockets and at home on our computers. I mean, there is no, the boundaries between work and intimacy have definitely so easy to just reach for your phone when you wake up in the morning or when you're going to bed at night to check like any last minute emails and, oh, that can be so, it can be death by a thousand cuts. (laughs) So I think that that second piece you talked about containers, it's so important to be clear about the containers, have the boundaries. I love that you and Shannon, for Sylvie and I, it's the same. We have to be very mindful of what container are we in right now. Right. 
And it's, we both can relax when we know what the container is. Oh, we're still in a work container. Okay. There's certain conversations or there's certain ways we won't be paying attention to each other. Right. <laughs> when we're right. in that container. That's exactly right. We understand. But when we're in our, our intimate container, well, there's a whole nother set of rules there. You know, the phone isn't welcome usually in that container. You know, even at a restaurant, you know, we go to the bathroom. It's nice to n- not come back to the table and see her on her phone while I was right. away. You know, right. it's just, it's again, it's a subtle little, and vice versa. It's nice that right. I didn't take my phone to the bathroom and check right. it, you know? Right, right. So that's really, really important. And the second thing, well, which was the first thing that you said, though, restate that because this is huge. You said, oh, let me see if I can, you tell me if I got it right, with a person who loves me come forward to speak right now. Right, right. Can the person who loves me do the talking? See, what I really love about that, you know, we never think about this, but what I hear you, essentially, you're inviting your partner to care about you in that moment. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the containers to really understand is that Shan and I are very clear that we're spiritual partners. Mm-hmm. And I think that many people that are listening to this may have never even thought about that or even know what that means. Mm. But to us, you know, we live a life uh, dedicated to God. We feel like our work is being channeled through God. We pray at least twice a day. We pray together. We pray independently. And so what we see is the purpose that we were attracted into each other's life is to do the work that God would have us do and to get better at moving through the world from a place of love and not fear. Mm. So Shannon's job really is to, her role in my life is to push my buttons and stretch me to be the best that I can be and vice versa. Mm. And so once we understand that that's what the, I mean, it's two diamonds coming together to really to really uh, polish each other up and really make each other vibrant. And so when you understand that the container of your relationship is to help you grow. I mean, even A Course in Miracles says that relationships are assignments. Mm. And so when you can see that your significance assignment is to, one, to reflect to you your greatness and the things about yourself that you don't quite see, they also require you to reflect on you on the things about you that that are fear-based. And genuinely, those are going to hurt a little bit when they point that out or you see that reflection. But learning how to just go, oh, Okay, I get this. You know, Gary Zukoff, him and his work, you know, when he talks about this being that this is a, it's a moment of growth. And so when you say to a person, can the one that loves me do the talking, can the part of you that, that loves me do the talking, it's a reminder that we're spiritual partners and let's mm-hmm. get out of responding from our mind and our emotions mm-hmm. and come from that place of respect and compassion where both of us can hear. Because so much of the communication when you're not in that place is irrelevant. What you're saying is bullshit. What they're saying is bullshit. They're saying something to be right. And it's the same fucking conversation you have every time you get in a fight. You know, fighting to be heard and saying the same thing. And then you're trying to get measured. I've changed. You don't see it. And all these things are just, they're not even real or true. They're just feelings that get in the way. And then it's a loop. So when you say that, it's a great way for both people to go, okay, I'm a spiritual partner here. Let me bounce out of this conditioned loop of communication and come from a real place. Yeah. And I've dabbled in the Course in Miracles. And and one of the first lessons is uh, you are not angry for the reasons you think you are. Yeah. That's huge. Isn't it though? (laughs) That's massive. In fact, you know, there was a couple, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so, Sylvie and I were hitting one one of our big challenges. And I remember I was driving in the car and thinking, if I believe what I'm concluding right now, if I believe my conclusion, we can't stay together. 
Right. It wouldn't even be kind for us to stay together. For what I see is really true. And that lesson came to me in my mind. I said, you are not angry or worried. That's another one of the early lessons for the reasons you think you are. That's right. And later that day, we actually went to a therapy session with world-renowned therapist, Stan Tatkin. And while we were sharing what we were going through, he also kind of almost under his breath muttered, you know, you two are never arguing for the reasons you think you are. <laughs> and it was such a, I mean, I knew that, but, you know, to know it in the body versus just know it as an idea. Right. So I think what you're, I want, just want to emphasize that for all, all men and women listening, men especially, but this shit ain't supposed to be easy. Right. Really. Right. And I feel, Brian, like, I feel like you and I are men who get it. And it's still cutting edge for us. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's the edge of the container for the evolved masculine. And I think where we're at now is that men don't really have a place to put their power. What was, you know, warrior and mm-hmm. survival and, you know, yeah. let me go hunt and let me yeah. provide and protect through violence yeah. and through asserting my power yeah. is being replaced now with having to assert our emotional intelligence. Yeah as a form of power and it's not as pride. It doesn't feel as primal. So we're missing this primal power outlet in our life. And if we don't have a place put for it, it will get projected onto our women. Yeah. So we're in this real kind of flux time in our life as men, as an identity as men all over the planet on how do we use our power? Where does that primal power go? And then how do we tap into more our emotional intelligence power as a way of providing a container or a way of providing a place for women to excel in because women need that masculine presence as an anchor. Yeah. And when they have that anchor, then they can play and frolic and go because the fear goes away. And if men don't provide that, then they get pissed off at their men because then they have to provide it. Yeah. You know, what was so, and we'll come back to that first moment then, because there was something really interesting that happened. I know you've done this probably dozens of times in different workshop scenarios, but I remember that when you led us through that brief exercise, men, stand up and grab your balls. First off, I just want to invite you to share what were you really doing there? And second, I want to acknowledge there was a woman in the audience who got triggered. Right. And you interacted with her, I thought, expertly. You really served her. And boy, that could sound terrible, what I just said. <laughs> you put her in her place. Right. You did not. You really served her to see what was underneath there. But, but, but walk us through that, because I think this is so relevant. You said, men, we don't have a place to put our power. Right. I couldn't agree with you. We, we don't know where to put our power in right. a way that we won't get resisted, because like you said, old paradigm stuff. So just take right. us through that. What were you doing there in that moment? Well, there's several layers of things going on there. Um, genuinely, this basically happens within the first hour or so of a three-day event, our Big Impact Experience event, which is really designed for people who want to put their message out into the world and uh, brilliant people like yourself who want to be blogging or writing or speaking. And, and I think what's important for that kind of person to get in touch with is their primal identity because so much of who we are, we filter. We try to filter who we are in the world, and then who you are in the world is impotent, honestly. If you're not being completely authentically you, mm. whether it pisses people off or not, then you're not being powerful, and you're not being potent in your communication. I mean, our company's called Big Impact, so it's like you got to have a big impact. So in that space, 
One, we want to, we're heading into a weekend and our tribe is very much in alignment with the kind of conversation we're having here. So we need to set the polarities of the masculine and the feminine in that room. We want to anchor the masculine and anchor the feminine and have people feel those two polarizing opposites in the room as present because it's not really present in their life. There's a lot of blending of the masculine and feminine, and we're not feeling those two opposing forces in our life, which allow us to feel desire and creativity and power. And we have both of those poles within us, but we're not given permission to explore either one of them fully. And so one of those things is to set a container in the room that really allows people to go deep through transformation Mm -hmm. and really get some answers. I'm also wanting to connect with the men and really identify with the men and set a container of safety for the women. And in the process of having men stand up and grab their balls, it can make women feel a little unsafe and it can make men feel a little uncomfortable. So there's a little bit of shock value that's meant to be there so that it wakes people up. But ultimately, I'm wanting men to get in touch with their primal power to really like go, this is who I am. And, you know, if you're going to be a man in the world, you should walk through into a room or through a doorway, either with your heart first or your cock first. And that's just the way I feel that men need to learn and give themselves permission to move through the world is to don't apologize for your masculinity, but understand it and be able to be in it. Because the thing I did not understand, Brian, when I was a kid, you know, here I was raised by my mom who was telling me to not have my masculinity. And then I went to college and I would have roommates and friends that women were complaining about. He's such an asshole. God, I can't stand him. What a motherfucker. And then she would go sleep with him that night. Mm. Okay. I saw how sometimes not making a woman happy got her blood boiling, which is very similar physiologically as passion. Yeah. And so I started seeing that it's not about making women happy. It's about being who you are so they feel safe. And that may mean that they're going to complain about you. That may mean they want to change you, but they feel safe. Yeah. And once I got that hit, that a woman feels safe and that when she feels safe, she can also feel sexual. That for me was a big aha and turning point in my life because then I could be more marked. So that's the dynamic we're wanting to wake up is to allow men to see here is your power. It's in your testicles. It's in your balls. That's, that's where you're getting your testosterone. And take a moment to connect with it, ground with it. And it also shifts the energy in the room. The men feel powerful. They lighten up. They have fun. And then when that moment is done, the women feel the masculine energy in the room and you can see them soften. Yeah. And I think the key is for us men is really learning how to be in that power in a way that isn't destructive or dismissive. And I think that's when that woman in the room was triggered which is understandable. I mean, most of us have only seen masculinity expressed in ways that do harm. Right. And so I think the way that you, I don't remember the the very things that you said, but I do remember the way that you were with her and you really, I believe helped her and everyone in the room to, again, not apologize for the masculinity that we were embracing, but to, in a way, stand in that power and show that it's also safe. We're, We're all safe here. We're safe in this. There actually is a way to, grab our cocks and protect the world. Let everyone know that you're safe with me. I will not abuse you. I I am attuned to what you're experiencing. And I think, you know, that's been the biggest breakthrough. One of the massive breakthroughs really for me in relationship, same, is being able to 
own my fucking passion and desire, my potency, my power, and be willing to hear no from a woman. Right. At the same time. At the same time. What a powerful place to be in. I ultimately, but when you say that, Brian, because so much for me is what I see a woman needs is a woman, when a man is in his power, he's in a place to where he's pursuing or if not completely living his purpose, which should be greater than making her happy. Mm -hmm. If she can't see that he is something more important than her happiness, she's never going to feel safe. She may not like that because if he is on some levels, she likes the idea that when she complains, he jumps when, you know, she has a sense (laughs) of power and control. And there's a part of her that likes that, but she doesn't feel safe with that Yeah, because she wants to, because deep down she knows he's, he's not pursuing his purpose. I'm his purpose. And therefore I can't be safe with him where if he is in his power and he's doing what he's called to do in the world. And that provides a place for her to land. Now you're talking about a dynamic in a relationship. David Data has a great kind of a metaphor analogy for this. It's like the, the soldier who's at the door getting ready to head off to war and his woman is saying, no, 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 please don't go. Please stay. If he says, you're right, I'm going to forget the war. I'll stay with you. She <laughs> completely loses respect for him. <laughs> she, I mean, this is the dilemma us men face in many ways. And it does feel like damned if we do, damned if we don't. That's right. And, um, you know, Sylvia and I, we laugh about that all the time because we see that element in, in our own ways, big and small. But it is a challenging thing for men. It does take a particular kind of courage to be willing to, in a way, disappoint. That's not really the right word. But in a, like you said, to not make her happiness primary, even as we are doing the things that we know would serve her exactly. and our relationship, ourself, the world. Right. It's very paradoxical, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think for women they need their man to have a path. And so for the men that are listening here, most of us have been taught that what we need to do is we need to provide. And Mm -hmm. so that's what we've been really, really taught is that we need to provide a living. But now the world, especially with the rise of women, women are going to be the biggest money makers in the next 20 years. They're going to be the one making wealth. They're going to be the one making decisions. They're going to be replacing the Anglo white man that is typically in corporations now. Women are going to be running government. And I, I welcome that kind of world, honestly. I think yeah. it's going to be more wholehearted and um, they pay attention to the things that men don't. So men, I think, need to learn how to understand that there's a role that a powerful, financially stable woman needs you to play that has nothing to do with providing. Yeah. Okay. It does have to do with you providing safety and a container. Yeah. And that's the conversation because we don't really know what that looks like. Yeah. But to me, it's an intention. It's an intention that the man has. He, he still has a warrior within him that needs to be exerted and put to work. And how you channel that warrior energy, I think, is critical. Yeah, the, what you're speaking to, Sylvie and I, I joke with Sylvie a lot, half-jokingly, and say, babe, I can't wait. If you're making a million dollars and I'm, I'm not making squat, that's just fine by me. Sugar mama. But the thing is, <laughs> I will never stop on my mission. I can't tell you what a relief it would be for me personally to separate my work from making money. Right. Really. Right. I, truly, it would be such a gift in my own way of expressing. I mean, I, I'm pretty, 
I mean, I'm, I'm on point with my work and my mission, regardless of how much money it makes, but it does. Like you said, there is that primal programming and cultural as well in me that wants to provide and wants to be the one who brings home the meat for my family. But that is outdated. It's not something that we men need to sign up for anymore. And our women, like I love seeing Sylvie and her power and, and how her own business is growing increasing. But I know that if I were to just all of a sudden, oh, she's making money so I can just play video games. That's the end of our relationship. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I do think that there is a primal role that the man takes on that. So like, for instance, we need to look at your life in two different ways. You have your career, whether it's a business or whatever is it that you do. And then there's the money that comes into the home. And we're in a place right now in our lives where all of us need to be looking at how are we establishing wealth? The landscape of work has changed so much that, you know, my, my dad, he went to work without a college education out in the oil platforms and worked himself up the ranks to be able to retire with a few million dollars. Those stories don't exist anymore, you know? So you get people coming out of graduate school with an MBA or a degree and they're working at, they're working, you know, trying to get life going as a barista or, you know, so one of the things that I think a man can do is really be in touch with thinking about wealth of the family. What happens to the money that comes in and how do we multiply that? How do we leverage that? How do we start to look at having passive income? I think that if a man can drive that, it is one of the things that allows the woman and the man to feel like there's a role there that is still feeling that primal need to take care of the family. So let's say the wife is bringing in 500,000 and the man is bringing in 80. He could still be the driver of how do we take $100,000 a year and leverage it over the next 20 years into millions of dollars mm. and set us up so that when I am a king and she's my queen, we're traveling around the world because of the efforts that she saw me do. I led this family mm. in creating something that's going to last our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I think men need to really be looking at, at, at that as some kind of role that they play in that as leading the family. They don't have to be doing it, but they need to lead that, that direction. Yeah. And let's stay here for a moment. Actually, really your journey as an entrepreneur, because I'm really curious. I know that you've struggled at various times to make it all come together. I mean, I don't think you're, in my experience, you're not an entrepreneur until you have failed multiple times. You've had a business stolen from you. Right. <laughs> I mean, and you've... <laughs> You essentially not known how you're going to pay rent or your mortgage. And there's probably other, lots of other great criteria, battle scars. But I know a lot of men out there listening right now, and women too, have a vision, a dream, something that they must do or figure out. I know you've been on that journey for a long time, Mark. Yes, I have. What wisdom would you offer based on your experience? What a great question, Brian. The wisdom I would tell you is you have to get a point into your life to where that is what you live your life for. So you have to live your life to become that. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people in this world, in the, in the world of entrepreneurship, most likely you're working on, you're, you know, you're spending time to develop yourself and you should be, you know, and what happens is what starts off with, well, I need to learn a little bit about marketing or I need to learn a little bit about finance or bookkeeping or I need to learn how to sell or market or lead eventually starts going, you start seeing that the same thing is at the heart of all your problems, which is you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like the spiritual path is because it, it gets you to a point to where I would say I'm in a place right now in my life, Brian, where when I am in my right mind, I can see a situation and I can see how the old part of me really fears that. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that does not want that in my life. But I also have this other part of me that's going, something is divinely guiding me and everything is going to be okay. And I'm going through this so that I literally can be molded for the next great thing. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 so I really encourage people to be all in on your dreams, be all in on your dreams and be willing to spend the money, be willing to spend the time. And if you can find, if you can, and make sure that you have a partner that supports you in it. I mean, it's really hard if you're in a marriage. I mean, this is my second marriage. My first marriage, there was not that support. Um, she did not have the mindset of personal growth, of change, of transformation, of, of being in the heat of allowing the universe to shape you. And that's to me, I mean, we, I believe that we all have that. Yeah. We're all here for a reason. We're called to put our gifts to work in a unique way. And until you realize that your purpose is taking that step that you're called to take to allow that to unfold and shape you, then you're, then you're in this reaction mode of doing things that aren't shaping you, but keep you distracted. So yeah. you've got to be willing to play a big, bold game and go for your dreams in a big way. So along those lines, then tell us about a time that you were, let's, I don't know if I like this word terrified, that you were terrified to do something really big and yet you did it anyway. And what got you over the fear of taking action? Wow. I'm going to take you back to probably when I was, uh, probably when I was like 27 or 28. Yeah. I was in a live-in relationship. It was a long-term relationship. It was not going well. This was really a relationship that served as the emancipation from my mom. So she was mm-hmm. kind of the, kind oh, yeah. of that served as that relationship that was supposed to be a lover, but she was allowed me to break from my mom while I was with her. She was surrogate mom. You got it. And um, <laughs> yeah. And leaving that relationship was not easy. That was probably one of the biggest areas. I remember I literally had panic attacks mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. But what I saw is that I wasn't playing the game I needed to play in my career while I was in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I mean, I left that relationship and in 90 days, I lost 40 pounds, competed in a bodybuilding contest, got down to eight and a half percent body fat and made about $40,000 in 90 days. Bam. It was like this. I'm like, no fucking way. I'm, I'm going to own my power. And I had something to prove to myself. What what got you over the fear? (sighs) That's a great question, Brian. Uh, I think with me, the biggest motivator for me is when I get into a place to where I'm, I know I'm in a place of being stuck, I hate it. Mm. When I know that I can have better, do better, be better, and I'm not doing that, and I've been in this rut for a while, it serves as this big fuck no. And I, mm. and I just make, I allow that to be this pit that motivates me for something better. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, is that that means sometimes you really have to allow yourself to digress before you're motivated to move. Yeah. But for me, I, I just think I've always kind of had this, what do you call it, pre-election, I don't even know the right word, of, of hope. I've always just had this hope and expectation that anything that I want is within my grasp, but I got to be willing to go for it. So for me, it was in knowing that I could not be where I was at anymore. Yeah. And I had to be willing to go through the pain of that for something better. Mm-hmm. And now it's at a point to where like even moving to Austin, Texas, we knew one person here. And we didn't even know him that well. And here we had created, uh, you know, this huge movement in the Bay Area, kind of Bay Area famous. We knew tons of people in California and had a huge tribe following all over the world. But that was our home. And we literally left that and moved 1,800 miles away somewhere where we knew no one. And we did that because we were called. It was a knowing that that's what we're supposed to do. And we jumped. Yeah. 
What are some of the disempowering thoughts or beliefs that you've had to confront and overcome in yourself along the way? Beautiful. Uh, always, I'm not good enough. That's, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for me, I was in graduate school to become a marriage and family therapist. And when I headed down that path, somewhere along the line, I really early, I'm like, okay, the skill of life is behavior modification. Somewhere early in my 20s, maybe even before that, I'm like, if I want to be effective at the art of life, I've got to know, learn how to change my behavior. Mm-hmm. I got to learn how to change habits. So then you start that path by reading books and doing seminars, and then you see that some of that works, but most of it doesn't. And there, there becomes a, a whole area of energy work. And so neurolinguistic programming really turned me on to behavior change. So here I'd had this NLP kind of mindset and then the psychology mindset. And what NLP was teaching me was how to be potent in my communication, powerful, and to make things happen. And psychology was saying, let things happen, create a space that allows things to unfold. And it was too slow. I didn't like it. It was too mm. passive yeah. of a process. And so just all of a sudden, I literally started seeing visions. And this was, I was in graduate school. I literally started seeing visions on me doing sales calls, like me being in a car and dressing up and going out and asking for money. Why? Because that was my greatest fear. My greatest fear was asking for money. Mm. And what I saw is that was not being addressed in my graduate school work. I was fantastic on talking about family dynamics and talking about my wounds and, you know, being vulnerable and healing. That was not an edge for me. Mm-hmm. What was an edge for me was standing in front of a stranger yeah. and presenting an opportunity and talking about money. And it scared the shit out of me. And so I made a big, bold decision. I left graduate school, signed up for network marketing and put myself in the fire of education of learning how to talk about what I do. And that was probably the biggest, boldest decision I ever made because that's what I teach people to do now from a spiritual perspective, how to talk about what you do so that you're authentic and real and, and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one, man. You know, confronting the money stuff, especially as a coach, that was probably the biggest breakthrough I made in my own coaching practice because coaching that part's easy, right? Enrolling clients and finding someone to pay, that's fucking hard. Right. And when I was able to, to work with that mindset, the fears around money, oh my gosh, the layers of that. And as I, I spent probably a good year really unraveling oh, yeah. that stuff. And oh my God, it was... And it never really goes away because, you know, you know once, once your business makes half a million dollars, then you've got other demons around money that show up. Once it makes a million, you've got other demons that start to show up. And then you've got to change the way you think about money and the language that you use Shannon mm-hmm. and I, this year, we hired a CFO coach, mm-hmm. you know, so chief financial officer, and she's teaching us all about advanced ways and strategies to look at our QuickBooks and our numbers and, and to look at business from a more financial strategic point mm-hmm. and really master our money as opposed to just make it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you turned me on to the profit first system and yes. anyone out there listening, if you are in any, if you have any entrepreneurial stuff going on, Read Profit First. This last year, this is my first year doing Profit First accounting. Game changer, man. Game changer. Game changer. I can't. Come, you have the money. It's the and it's the same. It's like what you just said. I, I figured out how to make money a long time ago, but to build a business, man, whole other thing. And with the Profit First accounting, I finally feel like I actually have a fucking business. Yeah. Running now. Nice. It's really, great, really exciting. So thank you. That's for, great. You for that for that gift. Yeah, it's a great resource. So we'll ask, uh, I got one final question for you and then we're going to finish up with our five key takeaways finale. 
Nice. This is the big million dollar question. Ready? <laughs> Mark, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom can you offer in the face of it? I think the biggest challenge that men have today, uh, kind of like what I talked about earlier, is they don't know how or they don't have a place to put their power. They don't really know how to, and there are, men are going through, as, as a gender, men are going through an identity crisis. So what's happened is you've had the feminist movement started basically around, uh, around the change of the century when we went into um, industrial, when we became industrialized, we got to go, we basically left working the soil and working the farm and doing that with our children to leaving the family at home. And then there became, for the first time in history, you know, and however long the history of man is, that men actually left, actually left the family unit to go work. Yeah. And then what that did is that created a dynamic for women where they had to be both the man and the woman at home. And then when the man came home, he was exhausted and tired. So now that that dynamic has shifted, it's like men really need to redefine who they are. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think, mm -hmm. I think men have a hard time connecting with the other men. Mm -hmm without the bullshit of competition and dick measuring and flexing and alpha male posturing, what that does is that allows a man to feel in control and to feel safe. And for men to evolve, they must hang out with other men in a place where they can allow themselves to be seen in their heartache and in their sorrow. Yeah. And that could be really hard for men to see that. But when you can see a man and he's frustrated that when he, when he has a place with other men to talk about the frustrations he has with his business, the frustration he has with his wife, his lack of sex, his lack of understanding. There's nowhere for men to go to talk about what they're really experiencing. So they internalize it all and then they have nowhere to, to really assert their power. So yeah. that to me is the conversation and the challenge that men have is creating a space to where there really can be a sense of power in vulnerability with other men. Yeah. Yeah, I have a weekly men's group here in LA and I have uh, some actors are in, in fact, it's almost full of actors, actually. I think I'm the only non-actor <laughs> in it. And uh, what I remember one of the guys early in the, the group, it's been running maybe four or five months now. And he, he, you know, actor, I mean, they're surrounded by people constantly and doing all kinds of emotional exercises and all kinds of really, I mean, my Sylvie was an actor before she got into transformational work and became a therapist and all that. And she would tell me, man, some of the things they do at those acting classes and holy shit, they, I mean, they go some pretty crazy places and some pretty, right. but they're not connecting really. Right. In a truly authentic, raw way. And, and, and I got that feedback from the, this man in my group who said, man, this is amazing. Like I've been starving for this. And so I think what you're pointing at men, we need to connect with other men regularly and not just over beer and sports and ass and fighting. Right. I'm not opposed to any of those things. I enjoy them all, <laughs> but we need to be able to, to bring our vulnerabilities, our struggles, our challenges, what's really going on. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at it, women are meeting all over the planet. They are coming together in these, you know, goddess circles, and they are talking yeah. about women's empowerment. They're talking about their cycles. They're talking about their hormones. They're talking about their men. They're talking about sex. Yeah. They are having real conversations. And so much of men, when you get together and it's just the beer and the competition, there's a place for that. And yeah. I love that. But until we as men yeah. can have a place to where we can talk about our sense of lack, our sense of heartache, 
our struggle yeah. and really be able to be seen and accepted in that. And, and another man that says, hey, I'm going through that too. Yeah. It's really hard for us to be able to have a new horizon to walk towards. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mark. Awesome, man. All right. We're going to wrap up now with the five key takeaways finale. I like it. The buildup. This is the finale, man. So this, uh, we've just covered some incredible depth and wisdom. And if anyone were to listen to this again, you're just going to hear more. You're going to hear shit you didn't even realize you didn't hear first time. <laughs> but this is to give us something really practical to work with and, and take with us from this conversation. So here we go. Number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact in their lives because it has in yours? Um, key insight, I would say, um, do the fucking work. Do the work that you know is the work. So for instance, when you and your significant have a conversation, do the active listening. Mm. Do the work and, and then begin again. And that's the key is people don't realize that you have to begin again sometimes every moment that I'm going to respond from, because uh, here's, here's the easiest way to say that. In any moment, you have a choice to respond from your little self or your big self. And we've been conditioned to respond from our little self. So we have to make the choice every moment of every day to respond from our highest self. And I think that's the key. And I think as you're sharing that, what occurs for me too is, be willing to lean into our own discomfort and not make our partner or anyone else responsible for getting rid of our discomfort. Yes. That's what do the work. When you say that, do the work, the way you describe that, that means that lean into your own discomfort and don't make anyone else responsible for making it go away. Agreed. And, And I think with that, a nice little part B of that is that in the discomfort, after you be with it for a little while, it becomes a place to you realize it is really no big deal. Mm. It's really no big deal. Once you step into it, it's, it's actually not that bad. You get to watch your mind go, oh, I fucking hate this. I need a drink. I need food. <laughs> yeah. Porn. And you yeah. can see how your brain is trying to cope with this thing. Yeah. But if you're in the seat of the soul and you're really watching how your brain works, you can see that you're really in a situation that's not that bad. Yeah. You're just reacting to it in a way that you've been conditioned. Amazing. Wonderful. Thank you. Number two, key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend the men listening to learn more about. Ah, that's really, really good. I had, uh, I don't know if you can find his stuff anymore. Uh, Probably one of the biggest mentors that I had in my life when I was young was a gentleman named Bill Gould. That's G-O-U-L-D-D. He was a young man who rose very quickly to the top of network marketing in a company called Equinox International. Mm. And uh, he burned it to the ground with greed. And uh, he burned it to the ground with greed and unconsciousness. And uh, a little bit of toxic masculine, I would say. Mm -hmm. But what he taught me was to take ownership of Mark. So I don't know if I would recommend him as a mentor, but (laughs) he was a mentor for me that really shaped me. And so I would say... What I would say out there right now, I would say probably the, the, one of the best mentors that you could really, really find is um, Marianne Williamson. She's mm. been a mentor to me for many, many years yeah. Yeah. Around, uh, around consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I've had the, the honor of working with her too in various capacities. And, yeah. and she's running for president. You knew that? I did know that. And you hosted a party for her. We did. We did here in Austin. We did a big, uh, big fundraiser kickoff party um, when she announced that she was running. And it just feels it's I don't think I've ever had a sense of 
longing to have a, a leader in our country that I admire. Yeah. I kind of forgot that I really want to respect my president. I want to love my president. I want to love my country again. I remember when she ran for Congresswoman in uh, California, I was there at her announcement in LA and oh my, like everything in my body just lit up like hell yes. And I saw her debate on a stage with probably 15 other people, men and women. And man, she was a lightning rod on that stage. She (laughs) just, regardless of what she does in this election, if she can inject just some of her insights and perspective into the conversation, holy shit, we will be better off for it. That's what that, 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 you totally nailed it, Brian. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Course in Miracles says there's no difficulty in the order of miracles, meaning like mm-hmm. one miracle isn't harder than others. So she could win, but I don't think that's the purpose of her running. I think mm-hmm. her purpose of running is to add a different element of uh, consciousness and conversation yeah. to the political ends. Yeah. All right. Very cool, man. Key resource number three your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Oh, of the last year. Oh, yep. wow. Okay. I, most, I'm just going to go with recency, and I just kind of started it, but it's a book called Stealing Fire. Mm. And it has to do, yeah, and it has to do with professors and uh, people from Silicon Valley, executives in Silicon Valley, and even special forces and, and uh, Navy SEALs using mind expansion and, um, and drugs like mushrooms and psychotropics and mm-hmm. uh, ayahuasca to advance performance. And this is, this is something that the book talks about how it starts with Prometheus wanted mm-hmm. to steal the fire from the gods and give it to the people. Mm-hmm. And this has been a theme throughout history is that there's this knowledge of the universe that comes from tapping into something different that has always been kind of hidden or kept secret. And for the first time in history, it's now at a point with the internet and with the way that we are connected and the needs that where we're at, that it's really part of the cutting edge of humans going to that next level of evolution. Yeah. And so I'm pretty interested in the mind expansion and how that's going to happen as a species. Interesting. I, both ayahuasca and mushrooms were huge, played a huge role in my, I would say my recovery and my healing or my awakening, especially from my emotional disconnect in the military stuff that I, that I, that's right. I forgot about that. They've been very, very helpful on my journey. That's cool. That's great. That's great. Hey, and by the way, if you're listening and you're driving, you can't write any of this down. Don't worry. This is going to be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. So don't sweat. It'll all be there. Number four, key investment in the last year. What's the best thing you spent money on under $10,000? Uh, without a doubt, I'm going to go ahead and promote uh, a colleague of ours, Miss Jaya. She's a sex expert in the erotic blueprints. The erotic blueprints, yeah. yeah, and she's phenomenal. She's a client of ours, and she invited us to her erotic blueprints retreat. So we went to Costa Rica and deep dived into each erotic blueprint, and it was probably one of the best things I've ever done for my entire life. Wow! This is really how we as humans are wired biologically for pleasure. And talk about an open book and talk about a container, Brian. Oh my goodness. Mm. She sets a safe, sacred container where everything is okay as long as there's um, an agreement. Yeah. And so uh, it was powerful. You just, it's the sex education that everybody should be getting at a young age, understanding how to give and receive pleasure, how you're wired for pleasure. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, whether that means you're energetic or sensitive or sexual or kink and the role that all these play, because what you begin to see when you begin to explore pleasure and sexuality is that it is the ultimate form of healing. Yeah. And so being able to be able to heal with your partner through pleasure is a beautiful, tender experience. So I would encourage all everyone to check out the erotic blueprints and try to go on that retreat because it was time and money well spent. Yeah. Jaya is amazing. Sylvie and I are big fans. I actually got to share a stage with Jaya at an event in Los Angeles and I saw her. We weren't on stage at the same time. We were both speakers at this sexuality symposium at Wanderlust. And and I got to see her set that container and do some really racy things on stage in front of people. But because of the container, everyone felt safe. Yep. And again, emphasize container. But so anyway, we're a big fan. And uh, I think, you know, Sylvia and I both want to do some work with Jaya too. So yeah, it's truly outstanding. Powerful. The erotic blueprints. Great. And the last one, key practice. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for the next seven days. Oh, that's a fantastic one. I, I basically combine three practices into one, and I would challenge you to get up no later than 5 a.m. 4.30 a.m. is the time my alarm goes off. And um, usually that first half hour is making a little bit of tea and just kind of waking up. And then it's a matter of reading something spiritual, then meditating for about 15 to 30 minutes, and then uh, after the meditation, journaling on what came up. And specifically, uh, actually, let me break that down. I would say, I would check, here's what I love. This is, it makes it really, really easy. Do a Google search or a YouTube search for, for Kundalini Yoga Ego Eradicator. Mm. And what it is, is it's a, it's a thing called Breath of Fire with your arms extended over your head. Yeah. And, and doing that for a minute and doing that like three or five times mm-hmm. in the morning I mean, you guys, it's a game changer. Yeah. And all you're doing is you're just shifting your breath and yeah. you feel like you're taking a drug. And uh, it's really a powerful practice that sets you up for a different kind of day. So that's able to break down my morning practice a little bit. So right. I do the ego eradicator every day with some other stuff as well, but that's a good place to start. Do it within the first 20 minutes of waking up. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much, Mark. This has been amazing. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Oh, they can head on over to um, mybigimpact.com. One of the things that we're doing throughout the year that we would encourage people to do, especially if you feel called to get your voice and your medicine out into the world, is to uh, join us for one of our upcoming Spark My Movement speaker challenges. So we have a challenge that you join with other speakers around the world and you get clear of the vision, kind of the Martin Luther King effect that is in your heart and your soul so that you'd be clear on what you stand for as a business owner and a thought leader. And we'd love for you to join us for one of those speaker challenges. They're a lot of fun. And it really does allow all of us to start to see that we have a responsibility on this planet through our business and through our marketing to lift people up to love, not fear. Yeah. And I I will reinforce that, that if you have a message, if you are interested in speaking on stages, if you have some creative expression to get out into the world, uh, Mark and his wife, Shannon, are incredible mentors and teachers and examples, people in action who are living what they're teaching. So definitely check out the website, mybigimpact.com. That's correct. Got it. Again, it'll all be in the show notes. Yeah. And then Brian, I yes. want to take a moment to acknowledge you, the space and container that you created here for two men to have an intelligent, masculine conversation that I think danced around a lot of things that 
a lot of men wouldn't think would be that kind of conversation. Very thought-provoking, very in-depth, and uh, I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. Fully received. Thank you so much, Mark. Been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to Mark Granger. Find Mark and his wife Shannon at mybigimpact.com. Any links, resources, books, etc., and Mark's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. And if you can think of anyone who might be served by what you just heard, please share this episode with them now. And please, if you were served by this in some way, please rate this on your favorite podcast app with all the stars that app will give you. Because in doing so, you too are helping to lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. 